As we continue tonight discussing the will of God, Psalm 32, verse 8, David writes, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. That sounds like God has a specific will for us, doesn't it? An individual will. We've established that he does. And so I believe God is not trying to hide his will. He's not trying to conceal it. He's not trying to keep it from you. But if God has a specific will for your life, then why would God try to hide that will from you? Right? He wouldn't. So last Wednesday, we examined in Genesis chapter 24, God leading the servant of Abraham to find a wife for Isaac. And this week, I want us to look at some general pointers or indicators to know the will of God. Now, many of these we actually saw last week in the passage. Yet, I pulled together a list of seven. Now, six of them are not original with me, okay? If you have Dr. Surrett's book on knowing the individual will of God, I think is the title of it, you've seen these already. But there is nothing new under the sun, so I am not ashamed to say that I borrowed the first six points from him, and then I added one, okay? Because the truth of God's word is the truth of God's word, and we, don't, we do not reinvent it, we just preach it the way it is. But these principles will only work if you are truly wholly submitted to the Holy Spirit in your life, if you're striving to live for him, you don't have any unconfessed sin that you're harboring, and you're doing the things you already know you're supposed to do. Now, I said that last week, but I'm going to reiterate that because so many, and I've, this is not the first time I've covered these seven indicators, and I've had people come up and say, Pastor, I'm trying to do these seven things, and I'm trying to follow them, but I'm still confused. Okay, let's go back. Are you fully submitted to the Holy Spirit of God? Is there sin that you're harboring in your life? Are you doing the things you know you're supposed to do? If not, then don't expect to get more information, right? If, you don't, if you're not doing what you know you're supposed to do, don't think that God's going to give you yet more to do, right? So are you faithful to church? Well, this is the Wednesday night crowd. So I'm going to say yes, right? Are you faithful reading your Bible? Now, there may be some days where you did not. It needs to be, though, a daily habit to the best of our ability in the Word of God, right? Are you praying not just daily, but always about all things? Are you faithfully giving to your church? Are you faithfully spreading the gospel? Are you faithful, faithfully living separated from the world? Are you faithful in, at home? Are you faithful at work? Are you faithful? Because you know all these things are what God wants you to do, right? And so I'm not talking, picking and choosing, yeah, I'm doing these things over here, but these over here, eh. Are you growing in the Lord? Are you growing more Christ-like? Are your thoughts changing more to God's thoughts? Or is your speech changing the more the way uh, you grow in the Lord? Are those things, are you, you know, because all these things matter. Am I doing the things I know I need to be doing? Now, I'm not saying you have reached perfection. I'm not saying you're sinless. But are you striving at the things you know you need to be doing? If not, 
then do those things first, and then God can continue to lead, right? Does that not make sense? So we're going to go through and look at several pointers, seven of them. And again, starting in Psalm 32, 8, I will instruct thee and teach thee in the way which thou shalt go. I will guide thee with mine eye. Now that doesn't sound like just a general will for each individual, but God says to David, I'm going to instruct you specifically. I have a way for you to go. And David's way was different than others of David's day, was it not? So let's ask the Lord for his guidance, please. Father, again, I thank you for this time and pray as we cover these principles from your word that, again, you would, we would be reminded of the importance of seeking your will and then, Lord, following your will as each of these indicators or pointers show us the direction in which we need to go. And we'll thank you for it in Christ's name. Amen. The first and surest way to know the word of God is the scripture. Because God's will will never contradict God's word. I've said this many times, but I have had people come to me and say, Pastor, I believe it's God's will for me to date this lost person. And I can look them straight in the eye and say, no, it's not. Well, how do you know? Because God's word says we're not to be unequally yoked with an unbeliever. Well, if I date them, maybe they'll get saved. I said, how about they get saved, and then you might consider dating them. Oh, pastor, you're just so old-fashioned. But God's will is never going to take you in a direction contrary to God's word. That makes it a little bit easier sometimes, right? Because if the direction you, you appear that you should be going, or whatever this thing is, if it's contradictory to God's word, you already have your answer. Don't do it. It's the surest way to know God's will. Psalm 119, 105. How about I call on some people? How about we do that? Who wants to read Psalm 119, 105? Where's my volunteer? Ed, thank you. Here, let me turn this on, and I'll turn this off, and then just hit the mute button there when you're ready. Very familiar verse, but Psalm 119, 105. Psalm 119, 105. Thy word is a lamp unto my feet and a light unto my path. The Word of God is a lamp and a light. So we need to look for, then, in Scripture, the lamp, the light, to guide us in our decision-making, right? So we should be looking for direct commands. Are there direct commands in Scripture that apply to us today? Yes. Does every command in Scripture apply to us today? No. That's why it's important you understand the dispensations and what applies to us today, right? Because nobody had to bring in an animal to sacrifice today. Those commands were for the Jews in a different time, right? Okay? But there are commands that apply to us. Go ye into all the world and preach the gospel to every creature. Is that a command? Love the brethren. Is that a command? Okay, and we could go through many others, right, that are given for us. Am I looking for those commands? Now, the Bible is not going to have a command that says, you should wear a yellow tie and a blue shirt today. Okay, but there are principles of God's word that we can apply. 
Okay, so now it still wouldn't help me pick out necessarily the blue shirt and tie, but some principles that I could apply would be that, number one, the Bible does tell us about standards of modesty, right? Both men and women are to have clothing on their body in an appropriate fashion, right? The clothing is not to draw attention to oneself. You know, it bothers me. I have seen many women who dress inappropriately and their husband seems to be okay with it. Gentlemen, you do realize her body is for you, right? If you're married, her body is for you. If my wife were going to step out of the house trying to show it off to everybody else, I'd be like, excuse me, that's mine. Covered up. And I'd say it nice way, okay? I would not be that mean about it. But the point would be, very clearly, that's mine. That's for me to see. Now, sometimes it's covered, but it looks like the outfit fit when they were 10. So, while it's covered, there's still a lot revealed. You know what I'm talking about? By the way, though, while men are more visually driven than women... You know, some women are visually driven, so men, we need to cover our bodies too. And you want to look at biblical standards? It talks about the covering of the thigh. Nakedness is exposing the thigh. You say, so your shorts should be to your knee? That's what the Bible says. wasn't my making up, okay? And I think it's quite apparent that there are certain... Okay, you can call me nuts and crazy if you want. Actually... Ronnie and I were talking about this before, uh, last week. He was asking about, so when you go swimming, what are you supposed to do? I said, the problem is, in the military, they tell him what he has to wear, right? But, guys, I don't really like to see another guy's chest anyhow. Cover it up. Wear a shirt. Moving on. 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. Who wants to read that? 1 Corinthians three sixteen and 17. I saw Ronnie's hand first. Ronnie? When you read, you got to read into the microphone. Know ye not that you are the temple of God, and that the Spirit of God dwelleth in you? If any man defile the temple of God, him shall God destroy. For the temple of God is holy, which temple ye are. Okay. You are the temple of God. Now, there is no direct command in Scripture that says, Thou shalt not smoke. I didn't find it. But there are Scriptures that say about being the temple of God. By the way... It is interesting, at one time, there were Baptist preachers thought it was okay to smoke. Spurgeon was one of them. Until they started using him, smoked the cigars that Spurgeon smokes. Then all of a sudden he got convicted about it. You know, the scripture tells us many things. The pre chief priests and scribes knew where Jesus was to be born. How'd they know? According to scriptures. Last week, as we were in Genesis chapter 24, we saw Abraham's servant, and Abraham were relying on God's word. So the surest way to know God's will is the word of God. But let's move on to number two. And that is, and that is prayer. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. Charlie, thank you. Matthew 7, 7 and 8. And he asked, and ye shall be given unto you. Seek, and you shall find it. Knock, and it shall be opened unto you. For everyone that seeketh, receiveth. And he that seeketh findeth, and, and to him that knocketh it shall be opened. Okay, knock, and it shall be opened unto you. Ask, 
seek and knock, right? Those are continuous or a present tense verb showing a continuous action. In other words, it's keep on asking, keep on seeking, keep on knocking. Here's our problem. Many times we ask God one time and we're done. But you remember the um, account of the judge who would not give to the widow, but her importunity, her continual coming. He says, you know what? I'm going to do this not because I'm a good guy, not because I like her, not because I even think it's the right thing to do, but I'm tired of hearing her. We need to be praying and asking God for direction. In Daniel, as Daniel is praying, Daniel chapter 9, verses 20 through 23 it says, And whilst I was praying, or speaking and praying, and confessing my sin and the sin of my people Israel, and presenting my supplication before the Lord my God for the holy mountain of my God, yea, whilst I was speaking in prayer, even the man Gabriel, whom I had seen in the vision at the beginning, being caused to fly swiftly, touched me about the time of the evening oblation. He informed me and talked to me and said, O Daniel, I am now come forth to give thee skill and understanding. At the beginning of thy supplication, the commandment came forth, and I came to show thee, for thou art greatly beloved. Therefore understand the matter and consider the vision. Now, I'm going to put this on the screen, but let me explain it before you all crucify me, okay? Sometimes God answers as you pray. Now, he's not going to send the angel Gabriel to tell you the answer to it. But let me ask you a question. Have you ever been in prayer seeking God's direction on something that you're praying, and you're praying earnestly, and you're, you may be even fasting and praying, but you have been praying about this matter, you've been studying the scripture, and all of a sudden, the answer just comes to mind. Has that ever happened to you? Do you think that was by accident? I hope you don't. Now, it's not God sending an angel or God verbally telling you, but I believe sometimes he just, when we are asking God, he clears our mind where we can think straight, and all of a sudden we got the answer. But even if he doesn't answer that way, how important is it for us to seek and ask and knock in order to get the direction we need to from him to ensure that as we're studying the scripture, as we're talking to counselors, as we're reasoning, as we're doing all these other things, that we are seeking God's will and God's direction in the matter, right? And we see also praying specifically. Again, Genesis 24, 12 through 14, and for time's sake, we won't go there again, but we were there last week. But in Genesis 24, we saw the servant of Abraham praying very specifically. Lord, let the maid who comes and I ask her for a drink of water say, I'm not, even gonna, not just going to give you a drink, but I'm going to draw to your camels or satisfied. And as he's praying, and praying specifically, here she comes. All right, so that's number two. So you want to know the will of God. One, search the scriptures. Two, pray. Three, have a multitude of counselors. Have a multitude of counselors. Now, multitude means more than one. I know that was really deep tonight, but you got to have more than one. And I think that actually should be Proverbs 11.14, not Proverbs 11.24. So let's go there because you all can know that I made a mistake tonight. Proverbs 11, yes, it's supposed to be 14. Where no counsel is, the people fail, fall, but in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. Go over to chapter 15 and verse 22. 
Without counsel, purposes are disappointed, but in the multitude of counselors, they are established. Go to chapter 24 and verse 6. For by wise counsel thou shalt make thy war, and in the multitude of counselors, there is safety. So, I need counsel on an issue. I have, depending on what it is, certain individuals that I will go to for counsel. If it is mainly if it's a church issue, before we bring it to the body here, I will talk to our trustees, which consist of Ed, Ken, and John. Sometimes I will talk to other men if I know they have an expertise in a certain area. I have counselors in my life for personal things. My pastor, Pastor Chuck Surrett, many of you have met him. Pastor Tim Daniel, I call him on many issues. And try to find men that I can counsel. One thing we want to be careful, so one, we need to make sure that they are godly counselors. Okay, why would I want to go to the world or somebody who has a humanistic philosophy on everything and ask them for godly counsel and, and trying to figure out the will of God? That would be absurd, right? If I'm trying to figure out the will of God, then I need to go to godly counsel. That would make sense, right? But here's another problem sometimes we do with counselors. Oh, they're not going to agree with me, so I'm not going to ask them. Actually, that may be the best person to ask. If you don't think they're going to agree with you, ask them because one of two things are going to happen. Either they're going to say, yes, I actually do agree with you and surprise you. And would that not be an indication that this might be the way God is leading? Number two, they may give you information that you never thought of. Why they disagree with you. And if they're giving it to you as a godly counselor, and the other qualification being a mature counselor, doesn't mean they're perfect, but they need to be walking with God and growing in the faith themselves. Not that they're perfect, but one who maybe, if possible, has walked the road a little longer than you have, right? By the way, for children, go to your parents for godly counsel. Now, sometimes your parents might not have the answer then seek out other counselors. But don't be a Rehoboam who went to the older, wiser counselors, and when they told him, saying, your father Solomon was really tough on everybody, why don't you ease up a little bit and the people will follow you? You know, that was some great counsel for Rehoboam. And if Rehoboam could have swallowed his pride and could have just thought that through, he would say, you know, that's actually the best thing I could do is just ease up a little bit and the people will follow me. But no, he goes out with all his drinking buddies, the same age, and all these guys that are just as dumb as he is. And he goes, what should I do? And they all say, you tell them you think you was bad under daddy. Wait till I get started. It's only going to be worse. And he goes, yeah, that's what I'm going to do. And he goes and tells the people, and the people say, you know what? Fooey on you. We don't want you as king. And the kingdom split because he refused to follow godly counsel. Also remember, others will recognize the Lord's leading in your life. So we got three. Moving on. Number four, circumstances. Say, what do you mean by circumstances? Okay, remember last week as the Abraham servant was allowing God to control the circumstances, he didn't try to manufacture, he didn't pray a specific prayer, and then say, 
to Rebecca when she comes up, may I have a drink? And also maybe, you know, my camels are a little bit thirsty too. And then she offers and then be like, oh, see, it was it. But sometimes when we pray specifically, then I see people go in and try to manufacture all the circumstances to work out the way they want it to. That is not how you follow the will of God. Understand, following is allowing him to control the circumstances, not trying to do so yourself. In Acts chapter 27, we have Paul going to Melita. Who remembers how Paul got there? Raise your hand. Who remembers how Paul got there? Al, how did he get there? Shipwreck. Shipwreck. Was that Paul's choice? Did Paul manufacture those circumstances? Was it God's will for Paul to be at Melita? Yes, God manufactured the circumstance. Because you know what? That's not where they were heading. But God put them there. And instead of sitting there griping and grumbling and complaining, I can't believe I'm not where I'm supposed to be, he realized God is in control of the circumstances of my life. I am here by a shipwreck, not my control. God's control must be a reason I'm here. Sometimes when circumstances don't go the way we think they should, all of a sudden we get mad at God thinking that he's not following our plan. Well, he's not obligated to follow your plan. You're supposed to be following his plan. And his plan may have been different to what yours was. So when the circumstances don't go the way you thought they should, then maybe it's time to sit down and say, okay, Lord, you put me here. Why? What am I supposed to be doing here? What is my next step? Well, Paul and Melita, it was to preach the gospel to them. And then we also see that Paul desired to go into Asia, but the Holy Spirit forbid him, stopped him. There again, if Paul had his way, he would have been preaching in Asia, but he was not allowed because the Holy Spirit of God stopped him. Again, here's the problem. Many times when God is trying to say, no, that's not the direction I want you to go, we're too busy with our own plan. We plow right through and do it anyhow, don't we? And then when we make a mess of everything, then we tend to blame God. Why did you create this mess? Well, he didn't create it. He was trying to lead you a different direction. You weren't listening. Sometimes we just got to realize God controls the circumstances, and it's not always the way we think it should be, but allow God to set the circumstances in order to put you where you belong. When I was here at Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point in the 90s, I had finished two deployments. If I had re-enlisted, I would have been deployed again. I was tired of leaving my family. I did enjoy my time with the Marine Corps, but sometimes it was just frustrating. Because even when you're home, it is another CGI, Commanding General's Inspection. For what reason? I don't know, but we just needed one. So we did it again. And, you know, then we would have this happen and this other thing. And then, you know, you have all these other things going on. And it was just, anyhow... When I got out, and I finally was done checking out, I remember driving out the main gate of Cherry Point saying to my wife, I will never come back here again. And we moved to Pennsylvania, and I wasn't looking back at North Carolina. I served in a church for three years under maintenance staff, but God was still working in my heart. I surrendered. I went to college, an ambassador, spent seven years squeezing a three-year degree in. And wouldn't you know, 
through a series of circumstances, God led me right back here. And I'm not going to go through the whole set of circumstances for time's sake, but God worked it and illustrated it, orchestrated it in such a way that I came back here. And not only did I come back here to pastor at the very church of which we were members, right outside Marine Corps Air Station Cherry Point, but I love it. And every time I go on base now and I drive back out, I'm like, I'm not saying it again, Lord. I'm not saying it again. <laughs> Abraham's servant allowed God to control the circumstances. I already mentioned that. So let's move on to our next point. Godly reasoning. God gave us a brain. God gave us something unique as human beings. You know what that is? The ability to reason. You know, God expects us to use our mind to reason. Come, let us reason together. He expects us to think. You know, way too many people in this world do not think today. They do what they're told to do by the TV. I'm being serious. But in order for it to work, our reasoning, it can't be going off of humanistic reasoning. It can't be going off of what the world has to say. I think I told you... I was not counseling the couple. It was a different pastor counseling the couple. They had gone to a secular marriage counselor, and there was infidelity in the marriage. I think she cheated on him. And so the counselor's advice was he needed to cheat on her, then they would be even and everything would work out. That is horrible counsel, and that is horrible reasoning. James 1.5, if any of you lack wisdom, guilty let him ask of God, that giveth all men liberally, and abradeth not, and it shall be given him. So, apart, going back to the part of praying, as I'm praying, Lord, help me to reason this correctly. Give me the wisdom. As I'm studying your word, give me the principles I need to recognize to be able to help me make a proper decision. As I go to my godly counselors, give them the reasoning and the understanding, and the wisdom to be able to help me make this decision. But it must be Holy Spirit enlightened reasoning. Holy Spirit enlightened reasoning. Well, thankfully, each of us at the moment of salvation have the Holy Spirit in us, right? So then as we submit to the Holy Spirit, Ephesians 5.18, and be not drunk with wine where it's in excess, but be filled with the Spirit. As we're being controlled by the Spirit, He will give us His enlightenment in our reasoning. One way you could do this is list pros and cons. But not pros and cons as it is advantageous to me. That's how we typically list our pros and cons. Pros and cons as it applies to the principles of, of God's word and his leading. Does that make sense? And trust me, that will change some of your pros and cons. And by the way, sometimes, even when you have your list of pros and cons, the direction God wants you to go may still not necessarily fit what would be typical human reasoning. Okay? But again, God has given us a mind, and this is not the only pointer or indicator of God's will. This is one of the pointers or indicators of God's will. Moving on. Did I see another hand out there for Colossians 3.15?
I saw Shannon first. Shannon, you want to walk up here and grab this? I'll walk back to you. Colossians 3.15. And let the peace of God rule in your hearts, to the which also ye are called in one body, and be ye thankful. All right, the peace of God. This one is probably the most abused one of all. I have peace about it. Well, it contradicts Scripture, so there is no way you have a godly peace about it. Right? Again, remember, you have to be following the Spirit of God. You have to be surrendered to Him. You have to desire to be in God's will. All those things are necessary. It's not just a peace because I feel good about it. That is not the peace of God. But the Bible says, let the peace of God rule in your heart. The word rule is the same word from which we get the idea of umpire. Let the peace of God then, can I say, umpire in your heart? The umpire calls the shots, right? God is going to give you, at times, a peace that passes all understanding. Scripture makes that clear, does it not? But you need to understand from experience walking with God what true godly peace is versus the peace that all these flowery peace, whatever you know, everybody else is always talking about. I have peace about it. When they're in direct violation of God's word, there's no way you could have peace about that. That is not godly peace. Let's turn to Romans chapter 14. I'm going to look at a couple of principles right here about the peace of God and knowing then and being fully persuaded that what I'm about to do is the right way to go. Okay, so in Romans 14, again, he's talking about the um, eating of meats as an illustration. But let's go to verse, four, four, verse 5. He says, One man esteemeth one day above another, Another esteemeth every day alike. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Let every man be fully persuaded in his own mind. Okay, so I knew a man who did not believe he should celebrate Christmas. He was fully persuaded in his mind it was wrong for him to celebrate Christmas. However, he understood also that that was one of those areas of, of a holiday that a lot of people can celebrate, and it would not violate their conscience. For him, it would. For me, it didn't. And he never judged me, and I didn't judge him. You understand what I'm saying? Okay? Both of us were able to do it with a clear conscience. Now, if he, were not fully pers or if he was not fully persuaded that he could celebrate Christmas with a clear conscience, and we were to force him to do so then we'd be violating a man's conscience, right? So we need to make sure that what we do, this peace of God, that we are fully persuaded that what I am doing is according to God's will for my life, all right? And another thought that goes with that, the end of the chapter is verse 23. He that doubteth is damned if he eat, because he eateth not of faith, for whatsoever is not of faith is sin. So I equate the peace that God gives that umpires our heart to a, I can do this by faith with a clear conscience. You follow what I'm saying? All right. That was number six. We got one more. And this is the one that I added to the list. You ready for this one? Psalm 37 verse four. 
And this thing is driving me nuts today. I don't know what is wrong with it, but it keeps like it acting like it's falling apart. Psalm 37, verse 4. Psalm 37, verse 4. Delight thyself also in the Lord, and he shall give thee the desires of thine heart. I believe this verse has a twofold application. As a child of God, as I'm walking with God, God is going to put in my heart proper desires, right? I'm going to desire the things God wants me to desire. God is not going to put desires in my heart to fulfill the lust of the flesh, the lust of the eyes, the pride of life. He's not going to put desires in my heart to, to live for self. He's not going to put desires in my heart for things that are wrong, right? Okay, so if I am truly walking with God, if I'm truly submitted to the Holy Spirit of God, I'm going to have the right desires. Now, He as God also then will bring those desires to fruition, right? Now, Maybe not always the way I thought it would be, or in the circumstances I thought it would be under. Does not the New Testament tell us if a man desire the office of a bishop, he desires a good thing? That desire to preach does not come from Satan, promise you that, who put it there. God did. And then, if he desires to preach, then God brings it many times to fruition, right? Unless, I mean, if it was truly a desire that God placed there. You see what I'm saying? So this is the seventh one that I have added. And I, because I see it throughout Scripture many times of how, again, the passage in, in Timothy talking about if a man desired the office of a bishop and other places, I see where God has placed that desire in somebody for something good and then... He, brings it, he makes it come to pass. Now, again, this is one which you would have to be careful. Okay? Because it's not going to contradict Scripture. It's not going to contradict any of the others. It's going to flow along with them. So here's the conclusion of the whole thing. All these indications should be pointing in a direction. That would be the direction to follow. Would that make sense? If it doesn't violate Scripture, or if God gives you principle from Scripture, if as you're praying, God gives you wisdom, He helps your reasoning, your counselors, your peace, the circumstances, and desires are all pointing in the same direction. Now, I've had individuals that I've talked to, well, we go through this list and like, well, I'm still not sure. Okay, let me ask a question. What makes you unsure? Because if all your indicators are pointing in the same direction, then what holds you back from continuing in that direction, right? But God, again, is not trying to hold back His will from you. He's not trying to lead you astray. He's not trying to say, ha ha, look, it, I deceived him. That's not God's character. God wants you to know His will. And God has given clear indications of how we can discern the will of God for our lives. So then, we can with boldness say, I am walking in the will of God. Now let me add something to that. You do not see in this list feelings. You know why? I'm going to admit something to you. There have been times... I don't feel like coming to church and preaching. You all look at me like, what? I know. 
that was a shock to you all. If I went off of feelings, there had been times when I would sit in my easy chair and Ed would figure it out. <laughs> but I don't base it on feelings. There's probably times Ed would be like, you know what, I'm going to put you up in my easy chair with my feet up too. <laughs> that does not make us wicked heathen people, okay? It means we have human emotions that, like human emotions can do, get out of check sometimes, right? Some mornings I wake up and I don't feel alive. Right? But it's not based on feelings. Well, I feel this is what God wants me to do. I had a young man several years ago who wanted to preach a message here. And so I was working with him on how to put together a sermon and everything else. And he worked and got it all together. We did all the study. He got his outline together. He was ready to preach. So I took him in my office and I had him preaching. And the whole time he's like, I feel, I feel, I feel. So I jumped up and I got in his face and I said, I don't care what you feel. I want to know what you believe according to the word of God. And so he started again and he goes, I feel. No, I don't feel. <laughs> he goes, I believe. I said, no, doesn't that sound more authoritative? I said, if you're preaching the word of God, you should believe it, not feel about it. But we live in a whole... And, and I know that sounds like a matter of semantics, but I, and I catch myself sometimes saying, I feel, instead of I believe, or whatever. But the point being is, is in preaching, when we're preaching the authority of God's word, we don't have to feel about it, we can know it. Right? And so we ought to state it that way. Because we live in a whole world that doesn't care about facts. All they care about is feelings. It makes me feel good. It doesn't make me feel good. I don't care. You know, I've had to make hard decisions in life. If I just went off of feelings, I would have never disciplined my children. Because I never liked it. Right? But I'm glad it wasn't based off of feelings. So the will of God is not based on your feelings. It's based on fact. God has a will for you. He wants to reveal it to you. He's shown you in his word how you can know what that will is. And so factually, you can know it and then do it and not have to feel bad about it or feel like it's wrong or whatever. Because, you know, every preacher has in their top drawer a resignation letter that they've worked on on Monday mornings. Al laughs because he knows it's true. <laughs> but then they filed away because a principle I learned long time ago is never doubt in the dark what God has revealed to you in the light. You don't make major decisions when you're in the middle of the storm. You don't make, bad, make choices when you're discouraged. You don't make, you, those are not the times to sit there and say, now's the time to act on something. Unless you're totally forced to in certain circumstances, but when you have gone through a crisis or a, you know, a hard time or whatever, or, or especially when you're discouraged, those are not the times to make major life decisions because your judgment is clouded. And I, like many others, have regretted making choices in those dark hours. So as we're following the will of God, 
It should be a constant lead in a constant direction. In other words, God has led me to pastor here at Freedom Baptist Church. When those times come, and they're not as often as they used to be, okay? Thank God. Now that I said that, now here will come another one. Those dark hours where I feel like I should just go ahead and quit. One of the reasons why I don't is because if I should quit today, I'm still going to feel that way in two weeks from now. But if it's because I'm going through a hard time, that feeling will go away in two weeks from now. You follow what I'm saying? In other words, in following the will of God, don't always be hasty. God's not always in a rush, so don't be in a rush yourself. Learn to wait patiently for Him. And trust me, when it's time to shift gears and go a different direction, He's going to make it crystal clear. And you'll know that you know beyond a shadow of a doubt. It's kind of like this, and with this I'll end. For those that have been married, how many times have young people come to you and say, how did you know he or she was the right one? You'll just know. Now, no young person understands that until they know. And then all of a sudden, they understand it because now they know. But you don't know what you don't know, right? So is that not kind of how you can, I mean, somebody says, how do you follow the will of God? You'll know it when you know it. And I know that sounds ridiculous. And I know that sounds kind of, wow, that was really, you came to that conclusion with this whole thing, but you'll know it when you know it. (laughs) But I hope these indicators help get you to the point of knowing you know it. Okay. It's not just, again, feelings. It's knowing based on the word of God. All right, let's go ahead and stand and be dismissed with a word of prayer.